Welcome to Why Are You Adulting, a podcast about motivated millennials that do a thing. My name is Jason, and this is the very first episode. And I'm doing this because I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And initially, I thought, well, if I don't know what I'm doing, why don't I find out by starting a discussion about adulting and why are we here and why do we bother and what are we doing with our lives? And uh, I'm starting to realize now that I don't think it's going to lead to a definitive singular answer for me or for anyone else. But what I've found in, in listening to other podcasts and reading books and talking to people is that it helps give me little treasures that help me along my path. It doesn't give me one thing to, to reach for, but it gives me a lot of little things to, to take with me on my journey. And that's what I want this podcast to be for everyone. It gives you little things to take with you on your journey, and it gives you little breadcrumbs that help you along in your path. And so what got me into this whole question and this whole philosophy, really, was a, a video that answers the millennial question by Simon Sinek. So take a listen. Millennials as a generation, which is a group of people who were born approximately 1984 and after, are tough to manage. And they're accused of being entitled and narcissistic and self-interested, unfocused, lazy. <laughs> but entitled is the big one. Too many of them grew up subject to, not my words, failed parenting strategies. They were told that they were special all the time. They were told that they could have anything they want in life just because they want it, right? They were told, um, uh, some of them got into um, honors classes not because they deserved it, but because their parents complained. And some of them got A's not because they earned them, but because the teachers didn't want to deal with the parents. So you take this group of people, and they graduate school, and they get a job, and they're thrust into, an, into the real world, and in an instant, they find out they're not special, their moms can't get them a promotion, that you get nothing for coming in last, and by the way, you can't just have it because you want it. Right? And in an instant, their entire self-image is shattered. And so you have an entire generation that's growing up with lower self-esteem than previous generations. So the first time I ever saw this video was on Facebook. My friend had posted it. And I think he had said something to the effect of stop complaining and you know just suck it up, life is hard type of thing. And I was laughing right along with him, thinking that, oh, that's not me that he's talking about. That's I'm not one of those millennials that's really entitled all the time. And um, I thought I was different because my parents raised me differently than a lot of parents do. My parents taught me how to be independent. I was taught how to manage my money from a very young age. And then my parents made me pay for my own college. Um, They taught me all sorts of skills that would help me become an independent adult, like how to do laundry, how to cook, and all that kind of stuff I learned from a very young age. And I, I, and so I, I thought that that kind of upbringing made me different than the millennials who were super entitled. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I was due for a huge wake-up call. And that happened to me when I was about a year after I first saw that video, when I was uh, an intern in Florida. Uh, I was interning for a theater company as what they call an acting apprentice, and this was a very rigorous program that was uh, also pretty competitive. I think 12 out of maybe 300 people were selected for it, and the program is basically you get to work at this theater for a stipend, and they provide your housing and stuff, and you get to learn 
a lot of different kinds of roles within the theater by by doing them, which is really actually invaluable experience for me. Um, because when I came to New York, the experience that I had there helped me get a job, like a survival jobs in theater right away. Like I, when I was an intern, I did things like uh, ushering, I did carpentry, I did uh, front of house stuff and a lot of teaching kids. So when I came to New York, I could put all that stuff on my resume. And because I had experience with certain things working for a theater, I was able to get picked up immediately a lot of different kinds of jobs. Uh, the catch is, of course, they didn't pay very much, and you had to work anywhere from 40 to 60 hours a week with different responsibilities and stuff. So it was a very demanding uh, internship. And when there was a, you know, they said in the contract specifically that there's certain roles that you are guaranteed, like everyone gets to perform in the children's show. Um, but then there's other opportunities that might come, they might not. And uh, you might be cast for it and you might not. And one of those opportunities was uh, improv. And at this point, we were about halfway through the year. It's a year long program. And uh, I had felt like, you know, I wasn't really getting the kind of roles that I wanted to. And I kind of understood that that was largely because there were certain actors who were better than me. Like I didn't go to college for theater like most of my peers there did. Like, they all had the background in theater. They had all done musicals all their life. And me, like, I was the kind of kid that just did sketches for the class. And people were like, wow, you're a really good actor. You should do that. And I thought, yeah, you know what? Maybe I should. And so then in college, like, I did stuff with the the student groups. But I didn't really do anything. I did, like, one or two things professionally. There wasn't many opportunities. Most people kind of did it as a hobby. But I was in this for real. And so when I got this internship, I thought, oh, I got it because I worked really hard and I earned it. Um, And so I thought that if I worked really hard, I could also earn a spot on the improv troupe. And uh, they ended up casting, I think, six or eight out of 12 of us. And I was one of the people who got nothing. Like there was there was the people who got cast in like the main thing and they were like the most talented actors. And then there was like people who were like, you know, Oh, you know, we'll have you on reserve uh, if, if this show happens. Maybe you could go on stage then. And I was not even chosen for the reserves. And so everyone was kind of like, whoa, like, why didn't Jason get picked? Because I had done well in all the classes and I'd always asked all these questions. And I was organizing improv practices on our own time so that we could just practice it and get better. And I was really enjoying it. And I was, I really, I'm a woody person. Like I think fast on my feet and all this other stuff. And, uh, some of the other actors were like, Oh my God, like I, you know, I already have such a busy schedule. I don't even think I can take this on. And I was like, give it to me, give me all the work. I don't care. I just want to do acting. This is my dream. This is what I've put everything into. And I was so upset. I thought that there must, the only way that I could have not been chosen was if they had like a personal vendetta against me or something like that. And so I remember calling my mom because I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle this. And so I told her what happened and she just said, you know what, Jason, like they don't owe you anything. And I was like, what? Because I had been working like 60 hours a week for these people and I had been doing all this extra work and I had been putting all this effort into improv. And she says, they don't care how much effort you're putting into anything. If you're not right for the role, they're not going to cast you. Mind blown right there. Like, it was so hard for me to to stomach that because if I talked to my peers, they would all have the sympathy for me and like, oh, you should have been cast and oh, how dare they. But my mom 
It was just like, no, like they don't owe you anything. If you're not right for the role, if they don't see something in you that makes you right for the role, then you have to accept that and you have to just move on. Stop being an entitled little brat. And so it was so hard for me to stomach that conversation at the time, but I knew she was right. And she was. The point is, is it doesn't matter if you put in the effort. That's just part of the equation. You also have to be right for the role. You also have to be bringing value to the role, to the opportunity. And I realized that the whole time I was at this internship, the reason why I wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted to is because I was so focused on leveraging this opportunity into something that could help my career. And to be fair, like when I came to New York, I had so much stuff on my resume that made me qualified for jobs that I actually did show up here and get jobs very quickly. Um, but the thing is, the funny thing is, I got all these jobs, but I was struggling. And I thought that adulting would be really easy, but it wasn't because I could only afford an apartment in Bed-Stuy where the mailbox was broken and my roommates weren't paying for the utilities. And we kept on getting these letters that they're going to shut off our electricity. And I kept losing checks in the mail and I couldn't pay my bills on time. And it was just becoming a mess. And then when Trump became president, he's saying all this stuff about he's going to take away health care. And I thought, oh, my God, like I'm a type one diabetic. And without insurance, like with insurance, the medication is expensive enough. And if I don't have any insurance, insulin would cost like eight hundred and thirty four dollars and twenty seven cents for three vials, which might last about a month or two. You know, and that was not an expense that I could handle at the time. So I said, I need to find a job that provides benefits so I can get health care and also a salary because I was tired of hustling for all these jobs and getting these really terrible opportunities as an actor, you know, low paying, or we're going to go practice the kissing scene without the director there and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so I found a full-time job and initially I was really excited to be there. They were really excited to have me. I became disillusioned to it very quickly because I started to realize things like when someone asks your opinion, you don't necessarily tell them what you think. You tell them what they want to hear. And we had all these meetings every single day. There was like a half hour meeting. It was supposed to motivate everybody. But for me, it just made me feel like I couldn't get my work done. And it felt like all the work that I was doing was, you know, they were just like, oh, just outsource it to Fiverr. Oh, just, you know, we don't like this logo. So just go outsource it to somebody else. And I was putting on all this work to learn new skills and to try to do my best to create things for this company. And they didn't really appreciate any of it. And so I was really struggling with this idea that I had just given up on my dreams for something that wasn't making me happy. And at the same time, I felt like my dreams had given up on me. So I had never felt more lost than I had at this point in my life. And I remember there was a time I was walking down the street. Uh, I think with my at the time girlfriend and we came across this book um, because people leave their books out in the streets of Brooklyn like all the time and they just leave them out on the stoop. It's not in the trash. It's like literally like on the stoop. So we, we came across this book that really caught my eye. Um, it was called The Getting of Money. And 
I saw this and I was like, what the hell is this book? And so I, I picked it up and I started looking at it and, uh, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I already picked up a lot of books like last week that I have on my to read list. And this one just kind of looks meh. So I put it down and I said, I'm not going to take any books today, you know, and then we went and did our thing. And then I think it was like a week later, uh, her roommate's boyfriend at the time uh, apparently had found that same book, given it to his girlfriend at the time, who was my girlfriend's roommate, to give to my girlfriend to then give to me. And apparently she was just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, so-and-so's boyfriend found this on the street and thought you would like it. And I was just like, what? And it was that same book. It's the getting of money. I have it on my shelf right now behind me. And uh, he gave me this book. And I was like, all right, I guess this is a sign that, like, I have to read it. Um, and I was already, like, halfway through one of the other books that I had found on the street. And uh, I was really enjoying that. Um, because during this time when I was working full time, like, I had at least an hour and a half every day on the subway commute. Like, to and from is at least 45 minutes. And it was the F train. So, of course, it got delayed a lot. But I would just read on the train. So I went through the books really quickly. And uh, so I picked up this book. It's called The Giving of Money by Felix Dennis. And it's an autobiographical story about a guy who had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And he uh, did what it took to become an entrepreneur. And he told one of those stories where it's like, yeah, like I was living in this apartment and there was no heat. And I remember having to set myself a fire so I could keep warm. And like, I had lost everything, but I was determined to make my business happen. So I just sat through it. And, you know, those kinds of stories are like the things where I would say like, yeah, okay, maybe I could do that if I weren't diabetic, if I didn't rely on insulin that needs to be refrigerated. But, you know, if I if I try to mess with that kind of stuff, if I'm that broke and I can't afford my own medicine, I'm in trouble because I, I'm not going to last more than like a week without insulin. So I, I had very early on said I will not put myself through that because, you know, even though my dream is one thing, I think my life is another. And I don't think that it's necessarily something that I should, you know, throw my life away at something that gives you such a little chance of success. The internship, I, I was, yes, I dedicated a lot of time to that because I thought that, you know, it would lead to opportunities. And it did in a lot of ways. But just living in an apartment where it's like freezing in the middle of winter with no heat and just because you want to audition, like that didn't make sense to me. I had to draw the line somewhere. And so that was where I drew my line. And I, I thought that my dreams were asking that of me. And I thought that it's like, you know, a lot of, I'd hear a lot of people say like, you know, you have to do whatever it takes and you have to be willing to sacrifice everything for your dreams. It's kind of like the idea, like in the Bible, where like in order to love God, you have to be willing to sacrifice your son. And, uh, you know, once you're willing to do that for him, then he sends down the angel and says, no, don't worry about it. Like, you don't have to sacrifice them for me, but I, I was just testing you. You know, I, I think that that's a bit extreme. Um, I think that any God or any kind of dream or anything that would demand that of you is perhaps not looking for real value. Like, why would you need that from somebody? That's just kind of always been my core belief, I guess. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do have to be willing to sacrifice your child for your dream in order to make it happen. But uh, at the time, I still had dreams but they weren't necessarily the dreams of me becoming an actor, a comedian, whatever, famous, and all this other kind of stuff. 
it was more kind of like, I want to do something good for the world. I want to be successful. I want to, you know, I just wanted to start moving in that direction. So reading his book taught me a lot. And one of the things that he kept talking about in his book was like, you have to think you deserve it. You have to think you deserve to make money. You have to think you deserve uh, to do all this kind of stuff. And that really confused me because I was like, wait, aren't I entitled? Like I need to get purge myself of this entitlement complex. Now you're telling me to go back and like, feel like I'm entitled to become a billionaire. Like that doesn't make any sense. But reading his book had made me think so much that I started reading other books that were similar to it. Um, so I read think and grow rich. I read rich dad, poor dad. I read, um, the richest man in Babylon. And all of those books said like the same thing. You have to believe it. The first step to becoming wealthy is that you have to think you deserve it. And that's what everything in my life was telling me at that time. And I, I could not make sense of it. Um, and then finally, uh, I read this book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And that book is really what opened my eyes to understanding how all this kind of stuff works. And there's a quote from it. When you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you achieve it. And that is what started to make things make sense for me. And to put that in a little bit more context, the universe that Coelho is talking about in his book is basically also known as God, also known as Allah or the hand that creates um, it's all kind of the same thing, but it's this force of love. And he says like the, the, for, the, in order to connect with it, you have to love. So I guess it really means like, think you deserve it out of a place of love, whatever you truly desire out of a place of love and fulfilling yourself and your personal destiny. That is pretty much, I think what all the other authors meant when they said things like, the first step to becoming rich and wealthy is believing that you can do it or believing that you deserve it. There is a difference between feeling like you deserve to live your dream and to chase after your passion and to to do all that stuff and being entitled to those results. There's a difference between deserving to be on the journey that you're on and feeling like you deserve the results at the end, the destination. And I think a lot of us kind of hold ourselves back, but we think that like, oh, if I get rich, then I'll become an evil person. I think that you have to want something and not be ashamed that you want it. And I think a lot of us kind of hold ourselves back, but we think that like, oh, if I get rich, then I'll become an evil person. Or, oh, if I make my dreams happen, then I'll never be able to live a life. We have to justify our dreams in a certain way, kind of like how I justified giving everything to this internship as a way of leveraging my career. Like the literal reason why I didn't get chosen for that improv thing, I think wasn't necessarily because I was, you know, I was definitely quick-witted and funny and uh, a decent actor, an energetic performer. But the problem is I realized they weren't looking for that. They were looking for people who made it fun because I realized like with a lot of the actors that were there, they weren't necessarily people who were good at thinking on their feet the way that I was, but they had a different talent that was very important, especially to this organization. And that was, these were people who embraced making mistakes and they were having fun and everything about them was just yes, 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 yes. And in a very genuine loving place. And I was coming at it from a place of compete, 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 be the best possible. It has to be yes. And only if it's like a good 
thing that goes along with the show. It was bringing this negativity that they didn't want in their shows. And in hindsight, I really can't blame them for not casting me because I was exuding that kind of energy. I wish that they could have cast me and coached me through it. But, um, you know, not everyone's got time for that. And, you know, I realize now it's like if I had been coming from more of a place of love and uh, genuine desire to um, contribute value to the organization or contribute value to the show in a different way, rather than trying to leverage everything on my career, rather than just trying to put improv on my resume, I think that my approach to the audition would have been a lot different and the results would have been a lot different. Because ultimately, the the thing that I truly desired was to leverage things for my career, and that's what I got. And, you know, they were really invested in finding some young, naive people who would be willing to do all this labor for them. And that's why they got some entitled punk kid like me. <laughs> so, you know, once I was able to finally shift my mindset away from that, I found that now I, I think that I'm on a better path because, you know, when I got this full-time job and I was feeling lost, I was still just looking for something to leverage my time into creating safety in my life. I just wanted something to get me healthcare. I just wanted something to get me a salary so I didn't have to go look for other jobs. And I ended up being somewhere that I wasn't really happy because I wasn't looking for that in the right way. And so the alchemist talks about the only obligation somebody really has is to achieve their personal destiny. And that's kind of like doing whatever your purpose is, your your why, if you will. And so I after reading that book, I realized that yes, it has to be you have to believe that you deserve to, you know, be wealthy or to be an actor or to do whatever it is that you want to do in your life. You have to believe that you deserve it, but coming from a place of love. So I think that Whatever it is that that you want, as long as it creates value for other people, is something worth going after, and it's something that's worth achieving. Even if, like, Napoleon Hill addresses this a lot in Think and Grow Rich, is the notion that wanting to become wealthy is somehow a negative thing. Like, it's a dirty thing to want a lot of money. Like, you should just want a simple life. You should just want a happier life. Like, that's a more wholesome approach to living. Um, but the reality is that being wealthy can be a really horrible, terrible, ugly thing where you uh, exploit people for money and you just kind of hoard all your money. And it can also be something where you're very generous and you're very giving and you teach people how to make money and stuff like that. Like, I don't think that someone like Gary Vaynerchuk is necessarily like hoarding all this money and all that. He's trying to teach other people how to be rich the way that he is. And he's giving his message out there for free. And his strategy is you have to hustle, hustle, hustle. And that's his approach. That's what worked for him. But in any case, I think that the healthiest way to look at the mindset and to separate uh, entitlement from deserving, let's say that your goal is to have a million dollars. Let's say that that is your genuine desire. So if you were entitled, you would say something like, just give me a million dollars because I deserve it. Like that's the wrong mindset to have. You're just saying like, I am, therefore I deserve a million dollars. But if instead of saying I am, therefore I deserve a million dollars, you say I am, therefore I can have a million dollars or I will have a million dollars. That's a completely different story because you're taking 
away the should. If you were entitled, you would have the mindset of, I am, therefore I should have a million dollars. I work hard, therefore I should have a million dollars. I think that a better way of putting it, a healthier way is, I am, therefore I will get a million dollars. I work hard, therefore I will get a million dollars. You know, by taking out the should, you you focus on what you can control. You focus on uh, the goal instead of the reward. You focus on chasing after something rather than getting it. And so in The Alchemist, you meet a character who's a merchant. And this is a guy who's a very devout Muslim. And he's, he's teaching about the obligations of Islam, which are things like believe in God, be a good person, give to the poor. And the fifth obligation is to visit the holy city of Mecca. Everyone is asked to do the pilgrimage, if they can, to go to Mecca. And so the merchant is telling the boy, uh, I would love to go to Mecca someday, but I don't think I can afford it, and it's so long, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll run this store, and I'll sell my wares, and eventually I'll save up enough money to go to Mecca, and then, uh, and then what? And that's why I haven't gone yet. He says, the dream of going to Mecca is what keeps me alive. He says, if I actually fulfill that dream, and if I actually go to Mecca, I won't know what else to do with my life. I'll have fulfilled everything that I need to do in this life, and then I'll die. So I never want to go there. I've never quite fulfilled any dream to the quite to the extent that... Um, but I have done things that I thought were impossible. I can tell you that if you ever realize your dream, or if you ever even get close, it's a great feeling and you don't die. You, you figure out what's next. You find what's next. So like if this guy like went to Mecca, there's all sorts of things he could discover while he's there. Like if his mission is to, is to be a better Muslim, maybe he would go to Mecca and meet someone else who has that mission and they could, I don't know, connect with God better together. Or maybe he discovers a new mosque out there, or maybe he discovers people that are trying to spread the good word of Islam and he wants to to help them do that. And, you know, same thing goes for any Christians who like go to Jerusalem and like they meet other Christians on that journey or Jews or whatever, you know, anything that you want to do, I would say go after it because if you find it, if you, if you make that dream happen, you're just going to want more. That's what they all say about money. It's like, after you make your first million, it's like, okay, now I want 2 million. Now I want 10 million. It's like, it never ends. There's always something more to chase after, but if you're stuck, if you stay where you're at, you're never going to have that excitement of growth. You're never going to have that, that feeling of what it's like to, to make something happen that you didn't think was possible. So anyway, I never thought I'd start this podcast, but here it is. And, uh, now that I've just recorded my first episode, I want to create another one. So if you have any ideas or questions or topics that you'd like to hear about, jot it down in the comments below, because I want to know, why are you adulting? <laughs>